House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. We have Alan Power with us. Um, thank you for doing the interview. You're welcome, Alan. Looking forward to it. Great. So um, let's... Before we get into the meat, let's talk about you. So um, <clears throat> what led you to uh, writing about uh, Diana and, uh, and got you into this subject? Uh, we're, we're just tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, basically, I just had um, a desire to write for some time. I had a, an IT company for uh, a few years, and... Uh, uh, that went, and I decided decided I was going to take up my desire to write a book. And there were lots of things I was thinking about writing, but the one thing that really annoyed me intensely was the uh, state of uh, the British nation and the, the monarchy and uh, the way they were treating Diane Spencer. And then when she was finally murdered, I just could not believe it. And I was so enraged by it that I just thought something's got to be done about this. And I thought, well, yeah, but what can I do? Nobody else has managed this. And I thought, well, there's no point in saying that. If everyone said that, nothing will ever happen. So I gave it a go. And I started this in uh, 2003, uh, in November 2003, and uh, just went uh, flat out researching the detail, interviewing people, uh, reading stuff that existed about it in the whole bit. Um, and then by 2006, I'd written the, uh, the non-fiction side of it, and then I'd also written a real strange mix I'd had. I had the first half of the book as non-fiction and the second half as um, a story, reverse engineering the facts from what I'd written down and I'd gleaned to write a story about what, in my view, happened. Uh, and that's, in fact, I'm in the process of editing right now to come out in a few weeks' time. Uh, we try to get people like um, Penguin and Little Brown, who had some degree of interest in it in about 2006, to publish it as a book, you know, non-fiction at the front and then fiction at the back. Uh, but they thought it was uh, an interesting idea I got from one person, but uh, they said, no, it wouldn't work. So then I had to break them down, and then, of course, whilst I'd done all that, then 2007, the inquest was coming up. Then I knew I'd have to spend quite a lot more time in researching the inquest to add to what I already had, the evidence I'd cleaned before that. <clears throat> and they gave me a chance then to um, assess what what happened during the inquest, what I knew had happened before, and to notice all the issues, all the points they hadn't brought out at the inquest, they hadn't discussed or they'd given a different interpretation to, and all the main and very important points they'd deliberately ignored. So that gave me a lot more clout to write my book. Um, and that's where I went on from there. Right. So now when you were uh, doing the research and kind of uh, going to write the book, how 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 did people respond to you, um, like when you were talking to people or out researching? Uh, by and large, very well. Um, the uh, the response is quite good. I think a lot of most of the witnesses uh, really um, didn't like what's happened any more than I did, uh, but they were in a difficult position because they they witnessed events take place and they obviously had some pressure on them not to respond. Uh, in too positive a way. Um, it, it, and, yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that. Uh, I had one, for example, the Japanese TV company's interested in doing some work, and I was fairly sure I could get some of these witnesses to come along and uh, 
uh, talk to us and they would go on camera on Japanese television uh, and I, I couldn't get one single witness to take part. Uh, none of them would join in at all. So what, 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 what do you think the fear is? Like, or, or is it just, like, what's the reason behind that, do you think? Basically, it's intimidation part of the British police and the British security services, uh, and indeed also, I think, the French, uh, DGSE as well, the equivalent of uh, CIA or MI6 in France. They just um, were control they're controlling the whole thing. They put a clamp on the whole thing. Uh, it was not to be released to what had happened, to what had been uh, responsible for her death. Um, and they just, they, they intimidated people. I mean, I've been intimidated myself. Uh, and they just intimidated people to try and prevent them from sort of taking the risk. Uh, it didn't work with me, and it has worked with a lot of other people out there. Right. And so, um, let's, let's, let's start in then. Um, so, how do you um, sort of think that Diana was killed? I mean, obviously in the car, but what, what do you think the, uh, how do you think the plan came about? Well, I think my, my personal view is that, um, and I think from a lot of uh, cross-reference information, so I can't say to you that I know, you know I watched a man give a nod to MI6. Clearly, I didn't do that. Uh, but one can glean information by reading through the evidence and, and, and understanding various aspects of what, what took place. Uh, it's pretty clear to me that the nod came from the palace uh, to MI6 um, to continue with the assassination. Um, and I think that's where essentially it came from. The MI6 group that were putting into this as a black op uh, used a team called the Increments, which is a team of uh, SAS and SBS troops that are seconded to MI6, specifically for the purpose, and indeed the Prime Minister, for specifically the purpose of dealing with um, violent situations offshore, not allowed to do it in the country, theoretically. Uh, so that was basically a team specifically for that purpose and trained for that purpose. Right. And so now I've heard a lot of different reasons. Um, why do you think Diana had to be killed? There are several reasons. And people come up with all sorts of different ideas. They come up about the, uh, the um, landmine situation and being useless throughout the world, both the U.S., the U.K. and other governments. Uh, in the arms industry and less, you know, the cash that they were making out of the arms industry. Um, uh, perhaps there was a truth in that, but who the main central reason that the monarchy was involved? That wouldn't mean the monarchy alone, I wouldn't have thought. Uh, the, I think the, the prime reason was that Diana had been abused from the very beginning, I and mean, she was abused before she was even married. Um, Charles Vincent was even you know, shacking up with um, Camilla Parkerville's uh, before he got married and on his wedding night. So the whole thing is just quite unbelievable. She was just abused, treated like an incubator, um, and treated appallingly, quite frankly. Um, so really, she was just used for one particular purpose. Now, she knew that, obviously not at the time, but later on she did. And when she realized what, what had happened, so how she'd been used and abused, she had a, her air and spares, they called, so William and Harry, uh, then that was it, her job was done. And she said, when that happened, when Harry was born, uh, Charles saw her in the Clarice in the hospital in London, that he saw her, uh, and he left. And she said she knew at that moment that he'd gone to his baby, as she described it. That was this, it was over. Uh, he'd done his job, he'd done his duty, uh, and uh, the children were there. So 
So she was just used as a chattel, uh, and that was just quite, honestly, frankly, completely disgusting. Um, and then, of course, she got really annoyed by it. And she was a very independent individual, a very strong-willed lady, and she was in the put up with it. And she had lots of evidence about what they'd been getting up to at the, the palace and all their exploits and their predilections they had. Um, and she was making a, she made up a dossier, a thick dossier on this. She had two, a copy of it, and she gave one the copy to her friend, uh, Simon Simmons, Simon Simmons, um, who uh, got nervous, unfortunately, and said she destroyed it after being you know, under her mattress for about a month because she was very nervous about what was going on, on behind the scenes. Uh, that was after dying of the murder, of course. Um, so I think that rather that, that was the prime reason for it. Also, the police spent some time trying to track down these um, stolen artifacts, as they call them, and they're checking up with Paul Burrell and this uh, guy called Brown and one of her Diana's other butlers, and they checked, they arrested them both, they investigated them, they searched their homes a lot. And I'm pretty certain they were looking for the, uh, for the dossier, <laughs> not for stolen artifacts. And within about literally two years later, if we took about two years to bring this thing to court, um, Bell was about to go into court. And amazingly, the Queen remembered, literally a matter of just a couple of days before he was going to give evidence about what he knew, what was going on, uh, she suddenly remembered that he'd taken them for safekeeping and there was no need to go to court at all. So it was all called off. Uh, the whole thing is really quite remarkable. Yeah. So do you, um, do you, do you think um, the people that were in the car were involved, like the driver, for instance, Henry Paul? No, 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 no. Um, only Paul was um, basically conned into running the show. He was basically, um, uh, he, he was a very loyal servant, a loyal um employee of uh, the Ritz Hotel, Fayette and of and of Derby. Uh they worked all very well together. And he did his job looking after them, driving around the place occasionally in there just to help out. Um no, he, he certainly wasn't wasn't involved, but he was known to be cooperative. Uh, he'd be he's ex military and he was used to just doing as he was told basically. And he was structured by MI six. Um, to set the whole thing in motion, to bring it to where they wanted it to be. Use the car they chose, they chose the particular car, um, without tinted windows, the flash would be able to work when they went up a smaller car so the windows wouldn't be blacked out, uh, all sorts of stuff. And they got um, him to drive it. I mean, they could have easily got somebody else to drive it. There was another guy available. Um, and in fact, even a dirty chauffeur could have been brought back in for it. Uh, but they got him to drive, they knew he would drive, and they instructed him, in my view, to take the car that particular route. That's the route it had to take, and it had to go into, it had to enter the, the armor tunnel. Uh, otherwise, you know, there would have been no assassination. Hmm. And um, so now Dodi Fayed, um, did it matter that he was in the car? Do you think there was any sort of angle toward him either, or...? No, I, I think perhaps if... Um, uh, I think the target was without doubt Diana. She was number one target, and she had got to go. Um, it was uh, because of the, the situation with the monarchy, because of the situation what she knew, because what would have come out, irrespective of whether she married, fired or not. Um, but the, I think the fact that he was in the car was probably the way they thought. The bonus, if they could just get you know the whole lot wiped out in one go, it was the best way of, of handling it. I think uh, as far as uh, Only Paul was concerned, I think he was also a target, quite frankly, because he was known what they'd been telling him to do. But they'd known, he'd known who was telling him what to do it. 
uh, and I think if he survived, then he could have given some serious evidence against them. So I think uh, Fayed, uh, Diana, in fact, the only one that really wasn't on the target list was um, was Jeremy uh, um, Jones. But uh, having said that, I think they would rather he'd gone as well, because uh, there, was, there was a man there who knew what had happened. And he's actually been known to have said to Fayed's uh, housekeeper, uh, Mackenzie, Karen Mackenzie, later, matters a few months later, that if I remember, they'll kill me. What do you think it's going to turn out now? Like, what, now, now that there's um, more talk about it again and uh, more people are doing things, do you think they, they'll ever change, they'll ever discover, or anybody will go to trial for it? Uh, well... In order to make that happen, we have to be very, very, um, very fortunate, I think. Quite frankly, I think it's highly improbable because, you know, um, anyone who's getting close to it, uh, like I like I have been, gets set on. Um, I've had, um, when I was, I went to my flight training, I'm a pilot, private pilot, I went to some flight training in Gloucester Airport, official Stamson Airport. Uh, and on the way back from Stamerton to Douglas, so of man, to Rollinsway Airport, um, the plane was half full, and I went on Saturdays on the way back. It was a few weeks before my book was published, the first one was published, you know, the one with, uh, with the areas in that had been stuck in there by MI6. Um, there was a guy sitting on the aircraft next to the seat that I, I was allocated, and the one sat down, and there was a long chat. He was um, MI6 GCHQ, uh, computer section. His name was Patrick, well, he was Patrick Condon, I presume. Um, and we had a long chat about the book. He told me that my book was going to cause him a serious problem, um, all sorts of stuff. Now, I'd like to know how he knew that, because the book hadn't just been published, so how was he able to read it? <laughs> uh, and, of course, it's supposed to have permission to do this sort of thing. It's supposed to have especially a legal framework in which they're able to apply for this sort of thing. So some presumably must have given him permission to get access to my work, even though quite recently the government had been trying to pass this through Parliament, so they'd have the power, they'd, have, they'd be able to invoke such powers. They didn't mean to bother, they did anyway. <laughs> I bother. Um, he knew all about this stuff. And he came over in terminal afterwards and just smiled at me, looked at me in the eye, and said, um, Good luck, Alan. And then down where all was going down. He's the one I'm pretty certain to probably, most probably, personally, put the changes in my book, put the errors in my book to try and destroy my credibility you know, as a public. Right. And so how is that turning out for you? Like, how's that gone? Like, with... Well, first of all, that happened. And then, of course, I found out about him, so I went flat out. I think he wanted to find out, actually, whether in fact I knew. Because if I'd known, I just popped everything, pulled it out, I'd done all the changes, then pushed it out again. So there'd been no need, then there'd been no point in having this other character come out with some rubbish and pack of lies about me to enhance it further. Um, and this, this guy came out with some stuff about my book, which was doing extremely well. You know, 2,000 copies, hard copy, hard copy for those eight days. And suddenly the, the stuff starts to falter because um, they're just saying this pack of lies about me. Um, so that has caused a major problem. Then, after I've done all the changes for the last year almost, I'm not able to sell them in the U.S. or in the U.K. still because Amazon just hadn't been able to uh, somehow organize the sales so they could be bought through the, uh, through the system. So I've had a major problem over the last 15 months. Wow. And uh, is it 
gotten a little better the last few day, few months, or the last is it? No, this is funny enough. I, I chuckled. Um, Jeff Bezos, I've taken it to, and he's has got his team looking into it. Has for the last six weeks, so maybe seven or eight weeks. Um, and it's only been this week, which in fact of days ago, the amount of source of that in the U.S. You can now go on Amazon.com and buy the um, the new version, the um, updated version of the book. You now get it. Which you couldn't until then for the whole of the last year. Amazing, and no one useful cards in the UK. I'm sorry, make it work over here. Uh, but the, amazing, the BBC called this last year just gone the Royal Year. Uh, so you can imagine how they feel about this book of mine being out there, zipping around the place while they're trying to uh, you know, push the monarchy further forward, especially William and Kate, and try to get them to a more pleasant side of the monarchy and try and put the rest of them in the background. Have you? Have you? Um ever talked to any of the royal family or any of their people, let's say? No, I've had Harry on my, uh, on my website. We at Wondery, creators of Dr. Death, Scamfluencers, and Over My Dead Body, go deeper into complex true crime stories to give you an inside look at the facts. And now we're launching the ultimate true crime fan destination, Exhibit C. It's truly criminal. Wondery's Exhibit C gives you the detective's lens of all of the evidence, taking you step-by-step step through the twists and turns of each true crime case. Join the Exhibit C online community to access exclusive show merchandise, member-only content, and to hear directly from top criminal and social justice experts, witnesses, and investigators as they take us beyond the evidence and into the case file. Join now by following Wondery Exhibit C on Facebook or find us on the web at WonderyExhibitC.com and listen to true crime podcasts on Wondery and Amazon Music. Exhibit C, it's truly criminal. I haven't um, actually spoken to them directly at all. Um, and I have considered actually trying to contact Harry because he'd be the only one worthwhile speaking to Harry. Um, he's a bit more of a lad. He, he'd be, I think, bloody furious what happened to his mother. I'm not that William wouldn't, but uh, he's got a job. He's going to become king, and he's got a huge responsibility. But I think Harry might be persuaded to uh, be a little more accommodating. So that may be, well, it is on my list, but it's not a priority. Yeah, yeah. And so no response from the royal family at all? Not to my book, no. I mean, other than have MI6 do what they've been doing, have intimidation, intimidation of me, people following me across on the ferry to England and the ferry back over again, and then the same guy uh, with two guys in the back of the car about six weeks after he's following me back across over to the island, um, coming down my, walking down my drive, and with two guys in the back of the car. Uh, so I spotted him and went outside, and... Uh, we eyeballed each other. I said, could I help him? <laughs> and uh, he just looked at me. I looked at him and he turned around and walked off. He had a reason for doing that, but uh, <laughs> I'll see what he was. Back to the accident. Now, so the, um, the, I've also heard things about, let's say, the ambulance itself, like that come and the people, that they uh, took too long and that they uh, purposely didn't want to revive Diana. Yes, I know. And it's, um, uh, there are a lot of situations where you can discuss that sort of thing. You can say, yes, there's that, there's the CCTV, there's no evidence about the car itself that was used and so on. 
But the problem is that I've got, and all good investors of uh, my view must do, is to only put down the facts, no, the truth, the, the details, something you can prove, not stuff that you believe might be the case. So when it came to the, the ambulance, frankly, there is no evidence. There's, there are documents you can hear what people said to whom, who said what, um, who said in what timing and so on, but none of it's actually definitive. And you can you can draw conclusions. I think the guy is prepared to um, make make stories up or just go along with his opinions, create an opinion, and then put the opinion down as fact. Uh, well, then yes, I suppose you can make a story up around this, but I'm not prepared to do that. I mean, but that's not being investigative. But that's just uh, giving you my opinion. Who do I want to know my opinion? It's um, you want to know what I've gleaned, what I've found out, what I can show you is the truth. And then you want to form your opinion. That to me is how it should be. The reader is the is a judge. They read the facts you present to them, and then they make them under. Right. Yeah. That's sort of what it should be. But uh, the world's kind of going a different way lately, you know, with <laughs> so much media just giving their opinion. So. Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, now, now I've also seen there's some controversy and. Um, some some things going on around you and uh, that you've had to uh, write a dissertation here. Um, uh, what, what's, yeah. what's that all about? Like, Well, when I fixed on these changes to my book um, and I discovered them and I had to quickly start trying to change them, uh, within a matter of about, um, let's see, about 10 weeks of my book, first book, the first publication coming out, um, I had uh, this character uh, called John Morgan, um, who's either a fool or a fraudster, which is what I had described at the station, uh, coming up with all sorts of stuff. He wrote, uh, actually wrote a book about me, uh, which was just a pack of unbelievable lies, having first of all put in the, the, the uh, facts that um, MI6 had put in the book. So basically he had that to start with. And I couldn't disagree with that because it was it was there, and I was reading myself. But then, of course, like they quickly corrected all that and everything else. And then he said, "A pack of lies, Johnny, you would not believe, just building it up into all sorts of horrible stories." And it just wasn't true. So I thought I had to rectify that. So I just put a book out, or sorry, dissertation out, uh, about forty or so pages, called John Morgan, Fool or Fraudster. Now, they didn't like that, and the boys in grey didn't like it in London either. It was within a matter of a few weeks. It was taken down off the Amazon site. Um, now, it's still available on Google, um, iPhones. Uh, you can get it from, you know, on your iPhone or your uh, tablet. Uh, Barnes & Noble, Magster, and Google, they're all still, still selling it. So they couldn't get rid of it altogether. It's still there. And basically describes what's been happening from then the names of the MI6 officers involved, what's been going on behind the scenes, uh, describes the detail of all these nasty little lies you've been telling about me. And I've rectified them all, about, what, 90% of them, all the way down the side there, describing um, what he was saying is just not true. Um, now, to be very honest with you here, Alex, if I'd had a million dollars spare, and that's what my London lawyers told me I'd need to go and sue in. US, UK, and Australia. And I say, say it may not cost that much, but I have to have it available to pursue it right to the bitter end. Uh, then I would have gone for his drug straight away, no hesitation. And he'd have been in serious hot water because it's all a pack of lies. It is a pack of lies. Uh, but I just didn't have the million dollars spare to go and 
commit against it. So I was completely stuffed on that, basically. They knew that already. Right. Well, what do you think the point was for uh, this John Morgan? Like, what, why do you think he did that? Well, he's written a load of junk about the same sort of subjects, um, God knows how many books, all with his opinions or sort of describing it earlier on. Uh, he just writes, he has an opinion, his opinions about things, and then he writes stories about around his opinions, and he writes them as facts. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, you would not believe, uh, I've got a bit of it here, which is um, describing some of the stuff he's saying in one of his things right now. He's trying to make out that he knows and discovered all the stuff. He's talking about the ambulance, in fact. He's talking about that particular part of it. And he's saying that um, both Drs. Martino and De Rossi, who both work for the intelligence services, no evidence, but he's successfully telling it. And then he goes on to say about um, uh, more... Uh, uh, Dr. De Rossi and Martino would have been working on the night on behalf of an intelligence agency. And there is little doubt that their motive would have involved some form of reward, probably monetary. Now, that's not how you word a non-fiction book. <laughs> yeah. you know, those are his actual words. You just have to write down what you know as facts, not make stories up as you go along. And, and it's basically, I just had to find some way of destroying that. And the reason why he did it is for commercial reasons, because he makes, uh, he makes, hopefully to make and kill my book off. Because my book is the one but then my six has already said, and it was going to cause them a problem. And he knew that, and he wanted to get it in the shadows as fast as possible. Right. So now you obviously think that he didn't do a, a great job in investigating. Is there anybody out there that you sort of think has done a good job besides yourself? Yes. There was one guy, uh, one pair, Americans actually, uh, Time Magazine reporters, um, uh, Sankton and McLeod, they wrote a book um, way back in 98, just after the assassination. Um, and theirs was uh, exemplary. It was the, really, there are a few others that have been written that have been quite you know, readable. Um, but apart from mine, that has really now caused my six a serious problem, uh, that one from um, Sankton and McLeod was, um, was exceptionally good. Uh, they really went to town. They didn't give you a lot of rubbish or opinions. They gave you facts and they gleaned them. Uh, and the facts they managed to discover were quite alarming. And uh, I think it was largely down to that book that those guys wrote. I think they're based in Los Angeles. Uh, that, that, I think, is what caused the whole problem. That's what caused MI6 the problem. That's what caused the monarchy the problem. If that book hadn't come out, the whole lot might have quietened down within a couple of years. Right. And out of all the facts that... Um kind of have come out in this, what do you think would be the one that would cause the biggest sort of shock from people? Um, you mean what, and as far as the, the building up towards the attack or what? Yeah. Um, I, I think the, the brutality of it, but then I suppose you could argue, well, if they're going to have something that's got to look like an accident, and it did have to look like an accident, uh, they couldn't just do something, you know, an injector or something, and just have it just expire, and then examine that and be found. It had to look like an accident. That was crucial. It had to be brutal. Um, I think the whole thing, the whole story is, is just disgusting from beginning to the end. And I'm ashamed of my country for doing this. Um, it's, it's just beyond the pale, quite honestly. We can ever behave in that manner. Uh, and it's a bit like, in a way, 
to my mind, and I'm getting into politics elsewhere, particularly this, you know, this business about ISIL and ISIS and stuff, and when Britain and the US go and attack Iraq in the second so-called war, where we murder half a million women and children whilst they still lay in their beds asleep, incinerating them and so on while they slept. Uh, and then Tony Blair being interviewed and saying, well, he wasn't a very nice man. That was only an excuse for, for doing what he did. Uh, that, to me, just disgusts me. And I think it's about time the people stood up and said, right, catastrophe, enough, finish. Yeah. So now I've, with, with Diana, why, why is there still so much interest in her and that about this whole... Be because they know, the people know, instinctively know, that it was murder. Um, too much evidence came out, uh, Sanctum McLeod did a good job there. Um, then a lot more evidence started coming out. Um, people began to realize that basically that there's more to this than met the eye. Um, for example, I, I know one of, there's some interesting stuff happens across the board. Um, I know a guy called David Jones. He was one of David Cameron's Inner Sanctum cabinet members until just about four months ago. Um, he'd read my book, and he and his wife had to, and his uh, PA. Uh, and he said to me, if I have a problem uh, with MI6 continuing going on the line, let him know, hey, you have a word with William Hague. William Hague at the time was the British Foreign Secretary, who was the political boss of MI6. Um, I said, fine, not known, Dave, let me just see how things go through and we'll work it out. Um, a few months back, uh, two people were sacked in the David Cameron's cabinet, David Jones and William Hague. Uh, David Jones went completely, and William Hague was taken stepped down as foreign secretary, and I became the leader of the House. So I think that might be another huge coincidence, but I think perhaps not. Um, they couldn't have the boss of MI6 be prepared perhaps to go and have a word with them on my behalf. That wouldn't work too well. So I think that was probably partly for a reason. Right. And so what do you think of the inquest that they did with uh, Diana? Completely set up, uh, complete sham. Um, it was, it, they had some, well, you look at the people I had before. Two of them stood down because they thought it was suspicious. Uh, Dame Buffus Sloss uh, came along with a friend, personal friend of the Queen, uh, then she tried to come in and sit and form an illegal jury, as so described by three law lords after five had to challenge it. So the shoe was booted out. And then we had this guy come in, uh, uh, Scott Baker, who um, frankly was just, um, in my view, to keep on saying that for legal reason. Uh, was setting the whole thing up. He's there, based to, to gloss over the whole thing, give a nice sham presentation, uh, cover over all the main areas where the where the serious issues are needed debating. None of them were. Everything was glossed over as an irrelevance. All the important questions were avoided, and I know that because I spent three or four years beforehand giving the evidence about what had happened before, and I know all the things he missed out. Everything of any relevance. Everything that was potentially dangerous. The bodyguard that uh, uh, Trevor Jones. Yeah. So, have you ever read his his kind of book on this subject? Yes, I have. It's appalling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've got the facts. That some of the facts written down there, I suppose. But the, the, the English is dreadful. Um, absolutely rubbish. Yeah. Um, 
But I mean, if you want to know what what happened from his perspective, then you can do is read it or read and fill up with the way it's written. Um, yeah, I mean, what he's written though, in any, in any event, I just don't see it doesn't fit in with the evidence at all. Um, he has towed the line to make it sound more uh, how they wanted to sound. He's taken the side of MI6. This is maybe the comment from a moment ago about instead of Karen McKenzie fires a housekeeper with a fire. Remember, they'll kill me. Uh, and so he was very clearly not intended to put his life on the line. So I think he's a play board and basically still down the line. Oh, where do you go from here? What's, what's your plans coming up in the future here? Well, um, I'm now working with um, Desmos again to try and get this um, uh, this line set up over here, Amazon.co.uk, sort of that. Now the .com is sort of that. Um, then I uh, have to try and um, get my dissertation put back up on Amazon because uh, that's where it should be. You are entitled to read the truth, I believe, and draw their own conclusions. Uh, I need to have the other load of uh, lies removed taken down, uh, because they should be, and I've uh, got the information for, uh, let's go to the US, the Amazon legal side, and let's go over this next couple of days, um, it's because the UK side, we're very happy to be the way it is, six <laughs> is exactly where it is, squashing my book, and taking away the criticism of uh, the other rubbish, because they wanted me to go and buy the other one, uh, because it's going to take them absolutely nowhere, there's no evidence, it's just going to take them absolutely nowhere. Unless they can handle, they can't handle people reading my book. So um, that's just that way. Okay. So now, how do uh, listeners get a hold of you? So if they want to get a hold of you or send you a message, or how would they do that? Um, I've got a website called it's Probity Press. P R O B I T Y P R E S dot com. Uh, and then come on to that on my website and just drop me a, a, a note. I get the note, come through to me very, very quickly indeed, and I respond to all of them. It's delighted to. Okay. And um, where, can, where can they get your book now, right now? It's still at Amazon? Well, Amazon.com now, <laughs> I shouldn't say, it was less than a week ago. It's probably about Wednesday, it was probably right, so it's about three or four days. I had um, FBA and Amazon tested to make sure they could do it. And they said, yes, you can buy it now. Uh, so you can get it from Amazon.com. Great. Well, thank you very much for joining us tonight. And that's all. Delighted to speak to you. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. <laughs> The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you! If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www. HouseofMystery.com Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.